Welcome to the Restoration Church Podcast, where we mobilize disciples to live on the mission of pursuing intimacy with God and intimacy with others. Today's episode is part three of our Christmas series entitled Simeon and Anna. We hope you enjoy. This time of year, Christmas time, I, I hate to admit it, I don't think this is a very spiritual thing what I'm about to say, but it's kind of, I kind of have a little bit of a love-hate relationship with this time of year. I don't know if anybody else feels that way. Just the hustle and bustle and the busyness. Uh, lots of waiting at this time of year. I don't know if you guys feel that way, but I feel like it's, it's hurry up and wait everywhere you go. Some, some people at the mall have told me that on average, they're waiting 30 to 45 minutes to get a parking place at Streets of South Point. Um, that's, that's pretty amazing right there. Lots of waiting. I went into uh, World Market yesterday uh, to, to pick up some things, and the line, anybody else been in the World Market over there by Streets of South Point? You guys been in that store? Anyway, you know, size of maybe a small grocery store, the line wrapped through the, the aisles all the way to almost to the very back of the store, uh, near where some of the snacks and stuff are near the back, if you've ever been there. Yeah, I got in line and, and I waited. I waited my turn. Now, I will say, though, sometimes people express some frustration about having to wait to buy Christmas presents. If you waited until December the 21st or 22nd to buy your Christmas presents, you have no right on the planet to frust- uh, share frustrates about, frustrations about waiting to buy any of your products, especially your Apple products. Just want to say that. No, no right to be frustrated for waiting. Waiting's everywhere. There's no, none more realistic part of waiting around this time of year than, uh, than being a kid, Christmas Eve, waiting on Santa Claus. Uh, some, of us are, some of us are kids now, and we know what that's like every Christmas Eve. Uh, some of us, it's been a while since that was a, a big part of our Christmas. Um, but Christmas Eve, waiting on Santa Claus, if, if you're a kid, you'll get this still, but if, but if it's been a while, do you remember how, how that was Christmas Eve night? You go to bed and you go to sleep or you start to try to go to sleep and you're just so anxious and you can't wait till the next morning so you can't go to sleep and no matter what, some point during the during this transition into sleep, something's going to happen. Uh, you're going to hear a sound, right? And you're going to think you're hearing Santa Claus on the roof. Every single Christmas Eve, you're like, wait a minute, what was that? And you hear it, you hear like something on the roof, somebody in the downstairs, uh, somebody shuffling around somewhere, and you're like, man, I think I hear Santa Claus. And you just, your eyes light up, your senses light up. And, and in that moment, you're hyper aware and hyper sensitive of everything around you. You're waiting. Christmas time is about waiting in this, in this sense of how important and how needing waiting is, sometimes in a very frustrating way, sometimes in a sense of anticipation. Christmas is about waiting. Oftentimes it feels like life is about waiting, doesn't it? Not just at Christmas time, but all the time. In my life, uh, just to be honest, sometimes I get tired of waiting. I get tired of waiting on, on some of the things that I've prayed for for God to do. Anybody else ever been there? When are you going to do that, God? Uh, there have been things in, in, in our lives, I'm sure you're like me, there have been things where you pray and ask God to do, and God seems like he does it the next day. Crazy things, miraculous things, things that are unexplainable by, uh, by science and logic, and just, just crazy things God will do like in a day or in a week. There are other things in my life, maybe in your life, so you've been praying for, for for months, for years. Maybe what feels like for an entire lifetime, you've been praying, you've been waiting on God to do something in your life. Maybe the waiting is for you. Um, just, just a moment of honesty and transparency. Sometimes I get, get tired of waiting on God to change me. 
I want the chains to be faster. Um, I, I want to be a man who, who lives a life that would honor God and be a life of service and love to people. I want to always be gracious to my wife and to my children. I want to put them first and I want to serve them. I want to be more, um, have more desire and internal intrinsic motivation to do the dishes and clean the house. And uh, I, I, want to be, I want to be kinder in, in, at work and I want to be more, more giving and more servant-hearted and, and, and selfless. Uh, more selfless, less selfish. I want to be more of what I see uh, God asking me to be. I want God to change me faster than he changes me. Sometimes I get impatient. I don't really like waiting. Uh, Maybe you're sitting here as a follower of Christ, and maybe, if you're honest, maybe you're about to give up. Maybe you've been waiting a really long time. Maybe you've been waiting on God to change somebody you love. God to change yourself, God to change the circumstance, God to get you out of that hole, God to rescue you. You've been waiting, and you're just about to give up. You just don't think you can wait anymore. Or maybe you've already given up. You come in here, you put on your smile, you say amen, sing hallelujah. But you've given up. If God would have changed me, I would have still be with him. God would have answered that prayer, I'd still, I'd still be following him. God would have healed my marriage. God would have healed my parents' marriage. God would have healed my friend. I'd still be following him. Maybe you're here in a place of doubt because you got tired of waiting. We're going to look at a Bible passage today, a story um, from the life of Jesus when he was born, um, the first, first week of his birth. It's going to help us understand a little bit more deeply of how we wait, wait well and why God allows us sometimes to wait. It's in Luke chapter 2. So where we are at in the story of Jesus, uh, Jesus has been born. We heard about the shepherds last week. Um, Mary and Joseph are now taking Jesus on a little trip up the road, kind of like going from Durham to Raleigh, Bethlehem to Jerusalem, to uh, take Jesus to be, to be circumcised on the eighth day. So think about that, a walking trip to, to Raleigh from right here. Uh, with your newborn baby that's less than a week old. Uh, we got a little judgment. When, we, when Addie was born, we took her to Mayflower Seafood because I used to love some Mayflower Seafood. Um, and uh, we took her to Mayflower Seafood like the first week she was born. And man, we got a lot of judgment eyes. Like, you shouldn't have that little baby out here. Mary had Jesus out, like taking him to Jerusalem on a hiking trip the first week he was born. So I don't feel bad. I bet they had some fish on that trip too. So not too worried about that. But uh, so Jesus is taking to Jerusalem. And when they get to the temple to do their sacrifice... That's where we pick up in verse 25. So uh, we'll read it together. I'll read it to you. Uh, There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout. Righteous meaning, uh, speaking to his intrinsic or his internal righteousness. And devout meaning his external righteousness. He was a good guy. Uh, He did the right things. He was a godly man. He he did those things maybe that I described a minute ago. And he not only did them externally, he had the right heart about it. It was the right motivation. That's who Simeon was. And then it says, uh, waiting for Israel's consolation, or waiting for the consolation of Israel. Um, and that word waiting is a participle, and it describes why he was able to be righteous and devout, or how he was able to be righteous and devout. Um, you could almost put the little word because between righteous and devout and the word waiting. Um, some translations may say looking, waiting is probably a little bit better of translation. But what it's saying is, is when it says he was waiting for Israel's consolation, is it's describing why he was able to uh, be righteous and devout. What was the source of? of the life change that he experienced. Um, It was a result of 
waiting for Israel's consolation. We'll come back to that in a minute to dig a little bit deeper on that waiting idea. But when we look at, when we look at Israel's consolation, I just want to make sure we understand what that means. He was looking for something very specific. Uh, he was looking for the consolation of Israel. What in the world does that mean? Well, the consolation of Israel is a, is a theological term. It's a theological loaded, loaded idea that, it, that comes from the book of Isaiah. And especially, it's in Isaiah chapter 28, it's in Isaiah chapter 30, um, it's in Isaiah uh, chapter 57 and Isaiah 66. And it's, it's part of Isaiah's teaching us about Jesus and how Jesus would come. Now remember, Isaiah was written several hundred years before Jesus showed up. But the book of Isaiah teaches us that this, this person is going to show up. He's going to be a man, and he's going to be God, and he's going to die on the cross to pay for the sins of the world. Um, the book of Isaiah lays out for us the promise of the gospel hundreds of years before Jesus Christ comes. What this teaches us is that Simeon's righteousness and devoutness came from waiting, but it was focused on what he had discovered by reading and studying the scriptures, looking for the coming of the Messiah. His hope was in the coming of Messiah. And I'll just, just a quick footnote on that. Sometimes we ask, or we, we have a tendency to think that Jesus is a reinterpretation of the Old Testament. Have you ever heard that or thought that? I had actually a, um, a friend of mine, a Muslim friend of mine. We're talking about, talking about Jesus. We're talking about the Bible. He was talking about Islam. We're just convers- having a great conversation back and forth about the differences. And he said about, about his religion, he said, I feel like we need the same thing you guys had in the Bible. I was like, well, what do you mean? He's like, well, you guys had the Old Testament where God was angry and vengeful and and kind of, kind of like we have, and then you have the New Testament. It kind of cleans up all your problems, and that's kind of what we have. And I said, well, uh, I said the same thing to him that I'll say to you. I said, if you, if you read the Old Testament carefully, what you'll find is, is it teaches us just as much about Jesus as the New Testament does. We don't have the Old Testament that's really irrelevant to today and the New Testament that's very relevant to today. We have the whole Bible, and the whole Bible from beginning to end tells us about the promise of Jesus who's coming to redeem us and make us right with God. This guy, Simeon, had figured that out. So he was looking for that. He was waiting for that. We can keep reading in verse, uh, after the Israel's consolation, verse 25, kind of B. And the Spirit, and the Holy Spirit was on him. And you've heard that, right? You've heard some the Bible describe somebody as the Holy Spirit was on him. It's easy just to bump past these prepositions and not think they mean anything. But there's a specific preposition here when it's translated on. The Holy Spirit was on him. Because it just be, could be said beside him or or near him, and yeah, this word means that a bit, but the Holy Spirit was close to him, speaking to the fact that the Holy Spirit and him, they were friends, they were close, there was a nearness and presence to him. But, but this preposition is a little bit more weighty than that. Uh, it, it literally means upon, and it speaks to the fact that the Holy Spirit was tangible to Simeon. Uh, Simeon could feel the weight in the presence of the Holy Spirit. Uh, those of us who follow Jesus a while, it's not uncommon for us to say something like or hear something like, uh, when you follow Jesus, when you're, a, when you're a believer in Christ, the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of you. Which means we believe that the Holy Spirit's with us all the time, right? I mean, if you're a follower of Jesus, uh, even if you're not a follower of Jesus, you, you've probably heard that. But what this idea of the Holy Spirit being upon Simeon is, is that it's more than just the Holy Spirit was, was there. The Holy Spirit's always there, right? He's with us. He's present. Whether we know he's there or not, the Holy Spirit of God is tangible to us. His presence is with us. That's the way the Bible describes uh, the Holy Spirit's relationship with Simeon. This verse 26 begins to describe a little more specifically what the Holy Spirit was doing as he was tangible to Simeon. Verse 26, it says, It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Messiah. Very specifically, we've got very general, 
Um, possibly through studying scripture, Simeon knew to wait for the Messiah to come. Through his waiting at a very close, tangible relationship with the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit himself, and the Spirit of God began to speak to Simeon. And this, this describes, by the way, the kind of relationship we should have with the Holy Spirit. Speak to, to Simeon very specific things about his life, one of which is that he wouldn't die before he saw the Lord's Messiah come. So this very general uh, consolation of Israel gets kind of narrowed by the direction, leading, and speaking of the Holy Spirit in verse 26. And then even a little bit more narrow. Look at verse 27. Guided by the Spirit, he entered the temple complex. How often do we result or end up where the Holy Spirit leads us? He ended up by listening, reflecting, being close to God himself, God's Spirit himself. Simeon ended up right where he needed to be. He was guided. He was led by the Holy Spirit. He entered the temple complex in the middle of verse 27. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to perform for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him up in the arms, praised God, and said, Now, Master, you can dismiss your slave in peace. I'm done. Man, what, what, a, what a moment. According to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. What had he been looking for for thousands of years? What did he read when he read Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy? What did he read when he read the Psalms? What did he read when he read Isaiah? He read the promise of a coming Messiah who would bring redemption and comfort and consolation and salvation. Verse 31, you have prepared it in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people Israel. His father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. And then Simeon blessed them and told his mother, Mary, indeed this rise of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed and a sword will pierce your own soul that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. So I just want to pause for a second and think about what the biggest idea to me is in this text. As you've read it, you may have some other ideas and other thoughts uh, one of the things we like to do when we're done, is, as many of you know, we like to break after the message and we'll sing a bit and we'll come back together and we'll discuss some things that maybe you see in this text that I don't get a chance to share or maybe that I didn't see. Um, but one of the biggest things that stood out to me is, is the importance of waiting in the life of Simeon. Do you guys see that? And it's this basic idea that waiting increased watchfulness and watchfulness increased seed. And we'll say that again because if you're taking notes, it's a good thing to write down. It's a really powerful, impactful principle for us to take out of this story. Waiting increased watchfulness. Watchfulness increased seeing. Seeing, S-E-E-I-N-G. Looking, see, what happens when you look, seeing. So waiting increased watchfulness. Watchfulness increased seeing. But, but we know that, right? I mean, that's life. Uh, it's the same story I just described to you when I described... What, what it's all like is someone waits for Santa Claus on Christmas Eve, right? Uh, you're waiting, you're waiting, and then you hear that noise, and what happens to your senses? They're like magnified times a thousand. It's the same thing if you're waiting at night and you were, you were a kid. This is especially the case for me. I remember this more than anything else. You ever waiting as a kid and you get scared? You think you hear somebody breaking in the house? Man, at that moment, every single noise, every single uh, whisper becomes becomes the reality of a burglar that's about to come into my door and come into my room. I remember it being in, as a kid, being in, the, being in my room, thinking I heard, heard a burglar coming in, being scared out of mind. Every little sound, my senses are just 
a thousand times magnified what they normally would be. So you just cover up in your blankets and you're scared out of your mind and every noise is a burglar and just sweating your brains out. Because, but you won't dare pull your blankets off of you. Anybody else, does anybody else like that as a kid? Your, 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 your heightened senses are a part of, part of, uh, part of that experience. That, that waiting increases the watchfulness, increases your senses, which increases the chances you are to see. It's, a friend of mine uh, who's a, a carpenter, uh, he was teaching me how to be a carpenter. I didn't learn a lot, but he, he tried to teach me. I, I worked for him for a while. I mainly just cut myself a whole lot during, during that season of life, but accidentally, you know, getting like... Anyway, I won't go into that. But he was trying to teach me to be a carpenter, and he said, he said, spend most of your time on the bathroom. And I said, okay. He said, make sure it's right. He said, everything in the bathroom has to be exactly right. The, the baseboard has to be right. It has to be even. Everything on the sink has to be right. All the painting has to be right. Everything in the bathroom has to be perfect. I said, okay. Why does everything in the bathroom have to be right? Doesn't everything have to be right? He said, because when people are in the bathroom, they stay a little bit longer. Yes, they do. And they look a little bit more inspection, uh, with more inspection, because you're sitting there and you're watching. What you got? You got some time to kill. You're looking for. Uh, you're you're, lo- you're looking to see see what's in front of you. And it, and it's true. I mean, think about it. If you're in the bathroom, sometimes you're there for a minute. I mean, you see every little thing. Oh man, they need to clean up that. They missed a little bit of sweeping spot in that corner over there. Oh, that board's a little crooked. You see more in the bathroom because you're there a long time. Sometimes longer than you want to be. Waiting increases watchfulness, and watchfulness incre- increases seeing. That's what we discover from the life of Simeon. We discover that his, his waiting for God and his waiting and hungering for the Messiah, for Jesus to come, caused him to be more aware of what God's Spirit was doing, what God's Spirit was leading him to do, how the Spirit of God was speaking to him. He was looking for the Messiah. He was waiting for the Messiah. You see, it's the same muscle that we use when we wait, strengthening that muscle, that spiritual muscle, It's the same muscle we use, it's the same sense we use when we listen or hear or look for Jesus, look for the Spirit's guidance. Um, And the more we use it, the more, the closer we get to God. It's a little bit like um, acquiring a taste for something. Uh, When I was a younger, I would would prefer to go to McDonald's and eat a cheeseburger than to have a filet mignon. I preferred that. My mom and dad, I was six years old, mom and dad said, where do you want to go eat? I wanted a Happy Meal. Happy Meal now is the grossest thing that anybody ever put in their mouth. It's horrible. But that age, I didn't, hadn't developed my palate, hadn't developed my senses to learn to enjoy, to get more precise in my enjoyment of, of the finer things. Now, um, if, if you guys are thinking about providing a meal, my birthday's coming up in February, if you're thinking about providing a meal, um, I, have, I have developed a little bit more sophisticated taste. So now I do enjoy the filet mignon. You can write that down. Um, I do enjoy that. You know, I've developed a little bit more of a very specialized taste for food. And then what, what we're learning from the life of Simeon is that waiting develops that, that sense God allows us to wait because it strengthens our ability to see from him and hear from him. And really that's the first application I want us to get from that text. It's for us to understand what waiting, the purpose God has in waiting. And the first big purpose he has in waiting is so that we can get to know him better. Because as we develop the senses and the muscle, the spiritual muscle that we develop through waiting, it teaches us to be more watchful and helps us to see who God is. We get closer to God. Uh, we, we go on road trips uh, sometimes. We don't go on many road trips anymore because we get to fly, fly in a kind of unique, special way. Uh, my wife works for American Airlines. But I used to love road trips. I kind of miss them now, to be honest with you. I know that sounds uh, ungrateful probably, but I do. I, I miss road trips. 
for those who've been to Pittsburgh with small children, you may not want me to say that right now, but, uh, but I, I do, I miss road trips because we would get in the car, Kiersey and I and the girls, and when they were really younger and, and small, uh, they, they would go to sleep, and clearly not as much as you wanted them to, but they would go to sleep, um, and you would ride and I, the, some of the most intense conversations my wife have had or on a trip, trips, trips to Florida. I can remember going to Florida and sharing and being real and being honest. I remember 2 a.m. On, on a trip to North Alabama in the middle of some backwoods, who knows how we got there, probably because I didn't ask for directions, uh, in Tennessee and having one of the most honest, real, marriage-changing conversations that I've had with my wife. I still remember it. I'm sure she does too. That waiting, that space of waiting that you would want to alleviate, right? You'd want to say, hey, can, I would sure, sure choose Spock's method of travel over road trips all day long. Like, conceptually, I would. Like, if you said, hey, Lance, do you want to go to uh, London? Yeah, let's go to London. Okay, so I'm going to take you, you know, whatever, 13 hours it takes to get to London. I just made that up. If you've been to London, you can correct me later. Uh, 13 hours is going to be London. Oh, man, that's going to be so frustrating. But, yeah, we'll still go. Oh, would you rather, Lance, instead of 13 hours, if I could just push a button and transport you immediately to London? Of course I would. Of course I would rather a little immediate transition transfer from here to Florida instead of the road trip or from here to North Alabama instead of the remote road trip. But the conversations that I would have missed, the intimacy that I would have missed by that suddenness would have left my life in a much worse place than it is today. It allows us to get to know God. The waiting that God allows us to do increases our ability to hear from him. It strengthens that muscle. It develops that sense so that we're better at getting to know who God is. Another reason that God allows us to wait is sometimes he wants to hone in what we're praying for. Notice how this passage works in Simeon's life. First, it's very broad. He's, he's waiting for the consolation of Israel. Now, that could be a very broad term. It could be talking about a new kingdom. It could be talking about uh, a, any king coming. It is a very specific term in the book of Isaiah, but I'm sure there were a lot of people who would have used that same phrasing in the time of Simeon to mean a lot of different things. But then it's a little bit more specific. The Bible says that, that uh, the Holy Spirit told Simeon that he's not going to die until he saw the Messiah. It's a little bit more narrow, right? But that's still pretty broad. It's the Messiah. And then it gets a little bit more narrow. He leads him to the temple, and he introduces him to the one he'd been waiting for his entire life, Jesus. As we wait on God, oftentimes he changes, he hones in what we're praying for. I didn't ask my wife's permission to give this illustration, so I'm a little bit scared right now. Um, and I'm still going to give it. Um, give me the look if I need to stop. She's so nervous right now. This is awesome. Um, so, but when I was between 16 and 18, uh, I dated a girl in high school. It was, you know, your, your high school, college sweetheart. And then at 18, I was going off to college, so I, I broke up with her. And about two days later, I was like, that was a mistake. I shouldn't have broke up with her. I came, came running back. I said, hey, I'm sorry I broke up with you. I'm going to go to college, but I think we can make this work. Um, and in two days, she'd already found another boyfriend, which probably means... It might have been a boyfriend all along. I don't know. I won't go there. But anyway, she, she had found another boyfriend. So for the next two years, I was in college in Pensacola, and for the next two years, probably 17 times a day, I begged God to return that relationship to me. I prayed, God, please, God, please, I want that girl back into my life. I want the girl back in my life. So I prayed for it every single, all the time, like, like crazy for, for two years. Um, uh, fast forward a little bit to the end of those two years, summer, going into my uh, junior year of college. I went to a new college, and during that summer, God began to kind of change me a little bit, work on me. And I got in this position where I, where I was able to say to God, I said, God, you know what? I've been praying for this for two years, uh, praying for you to give this relationship to me again. But God, 
your business, you're, you're king. My, my business is your business. You take over. I surrender this to you. Do whatever you want to in my life. You may not want this to be what you give me. God, God began to change me, right? And as he began to change me, my prayer requests began to change. And I began to change what I was praying for. God, I surrender. If that's not what you want in my life, that's not what I need. Literally, the day after I prayed that prayer to God, I walk into a, uh, I went to a, a preacher college, a Bible college. I walk into the college. I sit down in the service and I look up and I look over to Ryan, the most gorgeous woman I've ever seen in my life. I was up front. Sorry, I'm weird. I'm all romantic. See, I'm romantic. You don't believe it. Um, um, I look over there and there, there I see the most beautiful girl I've ever seen in my life and, um, and got a chance to get to know her and get to meet her. And, and she became the prayer request. She became the prayer request that I was praying and the answer to the prayer that I wasn't smart enough to pray. You know, we've talked about that passage of Scripture over the last few weeks where it says if, if a kid asks his dad for bread, will the, will the dad give him a stone? If the kid asks his, ask his dad for a fish, will his dad give him a serpent? Well, what if the kid asks for a serpent? Or what if the kid asks for a stone? Would the kid, would any father give his kid a, a serpent? No, the father's going to help the kid know to change his heart. So that the kid begins to ask for bread and ask for fish. And over time, God begins to change our heart. And we get the thing that we're so grateful. I know it doesn't even need to be said, except for it needs to be said. To look back on my life and over the last uh, 17 years of marriage and to think about life with any other person, especially the other person, <laughs> pales in comparison to how God answered that prayer. God changed the prayer. The third thing about waiting that I see, just from an application standpoint, in this text, is that as we wait, God changes us. Um, not only changed my heart in that illustration where he changed me to, to want a different thing, to be surrendered to his will. Not only that, but, but it's that same muscle, that same sense that we grow by waiting in God allows us to hear from God. That same, same muscle is the muscle we use to live out in godliness and live out in righteousness. There's a, there was a study done of 604-year-olds uh, went through this study, and they were put into a room with either a marshmallow or a chocolate chip cookie. So they were put in the room, and they, they were told they, if, they, um, if they didn't eat the cookie or they didn't eat the marshmallow, then when, when the adult came back in, they would get a second cookie or a second marshmallow. And then the adult would leave for 15 minutes, and then they would come back in. Make sense? Everybody tracking? So one marshmallow if you, if you, if you wait, don't wait, two marshmallows if you do wait. One cookie if you don't wait, two cookies if you do wait. Um, so did this, did this study, and, and it was about 50-50. Half the kids ate the marshmallow before 50 minutes. Some of them even ate the marshmallow before the adult could walk out of the room, like, you know, as quick as they can, literally. So these, these kids were tested and studied, and this was done, uh, I think it was done about 40 years ago, if my, my memory is correct, done about 40 years ago. And these kids were followed for the rest of their lives, uh, or for the next 40 years. And the kids who had the ability, on average, the kids who had the ability to wait the 15 minutes and get the second chocolate chip cookie or the second marshmallow, uh, when, they were, when they were checked in on at 18 and again at 24, I believe it was, uh, their, their SAT scores were significantly higher, uh, their salary rate averages were significantly higher, their body mass indexes were severely, significantly lower. Uh, by simply being able to demonstrate having a natural ability to delay gratification, to wait, 
They showed that there was something inside of them that allowed them to be more successful throughout life. Now, again, if you're sitting here like I am going, oh, no. <laughs> uh, know that these are averages. Uh, there, there are plenty of kids in the uh, non-whatever-they-couldn't-wait uh, non group that, that ended up very successful in life, too. But on average, those who are able to delay gratification um, ended up more successful. It showed that there was something inside of them, something that was able to delay gratification. Now, that's a biological matter, a matter of DNA, a matter of how, they, how the, uh, their genetics were designed to set them up, probably some, some child raising involved in that as well. But what this passage teaches us is that as we wait on the marshmallow, as we wait, God builds in us not only the strength and the ability to hear Him and get closer to Him, but it builds within us a new set of desires, a new set of wants. God begins to change our heart. Why was a guy like Simeon able to be righteous and devout? Because his waiting led him to be able to walk closely with God. It began to slowly hone in his prayer request, and then it began to change his heart so that his heart began to pursue the things that are most important, the things of God, um, even above and beyond the immediate things of gratification. His waiting delivered that. I didn't read one part of this story. It's kind of, a, kind of a part B to it. But it helps us, to me, wrap this up, and, and we'll be done with the last couple of thoughts here is this. Well, how, do, how in the world do we wait? All right, that, that all sounds good and all, but how in the world do we wait? Look at, look at verse 36. There's another character to this story that we haven't, haven't touched on yet. It's verse 36 says this. It says, There was also a prophetess, Anna, a daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher, she was well along in years, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage. So how long, was she, how long was she married at this point? Seven years. And then what happened? She lost her husband and was, years of, and was verse 37, and was a widow for 84 years. What, seven plus 84? 91. So how old do you guess this girl was? 100 and something. Yeah, I like that. So okay. she was married and or widowed for 91 years. A long time. During this time, she did not leave the temple complex, serving God night and day with fasting and prayers. At that very moment, this moment where Simeon has given this blessing, she came up and began to thank God to speak about him to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. The reason I wanted to make sure we brought in that story, that part of the story is the, uh, this speaks to the rhythm that we have to be in in life. Here you've got this lady for 91 years. Now, when you investigate this passage really thoroughly, you discover that the fact that she stayed at the temple complex for 91 years doesn't mean that she never left, just looking at it more carefully. That doesn't even matter, does it? For 91 years, she was just faithful, praying, fasting, serving at the temple. Praying and fasting and serving at the temple. Doesn't say she heard a voice from God like Simeon did. Doesn't even necessarily say she was righteous and devout, though that's probably a good characterization. Just 91 years serving, serving, serving. How often do we abandon the rhythms and routines of life? How often do we abandon them just before Jesus shows up? Sometimes life's, life's tough. Sometimes it's boring. Sometimes we want God to show up with fireworks and and hero moments. We want, uh, we want the, what is it, the, the song says, cool guys never look at explosions. They just turn around and walk away. 
Uh, we want that moment in our, in our spiritual lives. We want the, the bombs to go off, spiritual explosions, and we want to be the hero and walk away with the hero music um, escalating and singing behind us. We want that spiritual moment of, of glory, and we want them. And we think that's what it means to follow Jesus faithfully. Anna just served God in the rhythm of life, in the cadence of life, through the boredom, through the dullness, just served God best she could every day for 90, 84 years anyway. And one day Jesus showed up. Are you willing, this passage would say, to just keep serving God in the hopes that maybe Jesus will show up? Sing. If y'all permit me to use my spiritual imagination for a minute. Maybe Anna too. I wonder if there was a time where Simeon was sitting on the steps of the temple. Maybe he's just sitting there. It's a really bad day. It's been one of those weeks where he didn't pray enough. He knows it. He slipped into that bad habit again and he hates himself for it. He's been waiting for God for years. God, you said you were going to let me see the Messiah before I'm dying. Maybe he even is starting to feel the weight of his age. Maybe his body's starting to shut down. And maybe he's sitting there on that temple step, and he's saying to himself, God, you said I was going to see the Messiah. You said I was going to see Jesus. I wonder how many times he almost gave up. How many times he almost said, I, I can't wait any longer. I can't, can't do it anymore. I wonder how many times. And then one day, the Spirit leads him to the temple. <sighs> okay. I'll go back again, God. Nothing's going to happen. I've been going back for years, just like that old lady Anna down the, down the hall. Go back again, God. Sits down on the steps again. He's waiting. Maybe he looks up. Maybe with doubt, I don't know. I know if I were Simeon, there would be a lot of it. He looks up. Sees Mary, a young lady, riding a donkey, her husband. And in their arms, a little baby. This guy's pretty close to the Holy Spirit. As they walk up, the Holy Spirit says, that's him. You've been waiting for him your entire life. And there he is. One day we're going to, we're all going to die. We're going to walk into heaven and we get to say, the wait was worth it. There he is. Your prayers that you've been praying the hope that you've been looking for in your life. If you're about to give up, don't give up. You will look up soon. And the Holy Spirit will say to you, there he is. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Restoration Church Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about our church, hear other messages, or find out how you might be able to contribute to this vision, 
please visit us at www.restorationchurch.us or follow us on Facebook at Restoration D C H.